We've been going through the, the Sermon on the Mount, and the one thing we've been trying to do is, is put across this sense that, that this is all connected, that Jesus is developing ideas here. He's not delivering neatly divided sayings. All this is, is one discourse, one sermon, as Jesus points us to the kingdom and our need for his righteousness. And so when we come to a passage like this, we can't just lift it out of the context. So what we're going to try and do this morning is to see the structure and flow of Jesus' thoughts here as he develops it, so we can get a big picture of where he is going with all this. And so if you have your Bibles open in front of you, or you have your journals at hand, we're going to talk a little bit about the structure of the passage, and how that shows what Jesus is communicating here, and then we're going to look at what that means for us today. So let's dive in. Verse 1, be careful. Not be careful as a sense of to be aware or to devote yourselves to the idea. So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This verse opens for us a big section giving us a framework for what Jesus is about to say. And the rest of the section simply expands on these points that are here. So if you want to highlight or note down anything here, note down that verse 1 is our big statement. And there are three themes that are going to come up and filter down through the rest of the passage here. It's the idea of practicing righteousness, the motivation for that, and then the consequences of it. And it might be helpful to to underline and note down those parts of the verse. So be careful not to practice righteousness, that's point one, in front of others to be seen by them, that's point two, looking at the, the motivation. And if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's point three, the consequence of this. So we've got practicing righteousness, the motivation for that, and then the consequences of it. So if verse one is our our big statement, the following section just expands on what that looks like. We already saw last week that that Jesus is giving a similar statement and and then some worked examples after it, and it's it's, it's the same here. So if you're using the journals, um, note down these verses, or, or better yet, draw a box around verses two to four, then another around 5 to 15, and finally one around 16 to 18. So that's 2 to 4, the first big chunk, 5 to 15, the next bit, and then 16 to 18. And these are our three blocks. And we know that these are blocks because each of those, those boxes starts with an expression in the Greek that shows that it's expanding on this idea from verse 1. So hopefully now we can see a little bit of structure to the verse with our our opening statement and then three blocks that expand upon it. And we're going to look at now at how those points from verse 1 filter down through each of these three blocks. So let's start with the idea of practicing your righteousness. The implication of being careful when practicing righteousness, righteousness is that we will actually be practicing it. That there is an expectation that, that being united to Christ and having him mold us will, in fact, change us and lead to action. There's no sense that the Christian faith can be some private, hidden away thing that, that doesn't affect the rest of our lives. Jesus has, has just said that we need to be like God in how we interact with our enemies, people who have wronged us, and even in our relationships. So now that we've received this righteousness from Christ, we to let that extend out into the world. We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And if you read there and look at those boxes, you will see that practicing righteousness means to give to the needy, that's in verse 2, to pray, that's in verse 5, and to fast, 
It's in verse 16. Now, that's not an exhaustive list. We see lots of other places where practicing righteousness has, has other meanings. So we aren't, doing the, we aren't going to get into the specifics this morning about how you do each of those three things. Instead, we're going to focus more upon why is it? Why does Jesus choose these specific three things? Why are they mentioned? What is Jesus telling us about practicing righteousness by choosing these three points? Well, remember our context. We've already heard in the Beatitudes that when we rely upon our own righteousness, upon our own worth, then we are spiritually poor. We can't measure up. But in being united to Christ, we receive his righteousness and are counted heirs to God's kingdom. And last week, we saw that that completing the law meant needing to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. So we needed to be perfect. And how the only way that we could do that was by receiving Christ's righteousness. So rather than depending upon ourselves, we lean on God. So throughout, there's this development of our need for Jesus, our need for his righteousness, that to be right with God, we have to depend upon him and not ourselves. In your journals, if you use them, circle that phrase in verse 1, your righteousness. And remind yourself that it means the righteousness that you have been given by being united to Christ. That it is his robes that you wear, not your own. That practicing righteousness doesn't point to people, doesn't, sorry, doesn't point people to you, but it points people to God. Now, this would have been shocking to the hearers at the time because they would have been used to seeing their religious leaders doing exactly the opposite. How the the leaders would have made a show of giving to the needy, of tithing even the most worthless part of their possessions so that people would look at them and think, wow, isn't he generous? Doesn't he have such trust? Or they have heard the leaders praying in public and these, all these complex players are going on and, and, and just for people to see them so they would think, wow, isn't he generous? Isn't he great? Isn't he holy? Or they would have seen them looking disheveled and hungry and think, wow, isn't he strong? Isn't he devoted to fast so much? The religious leaders held themselves up to be emulated, to be respected. What they were saying was, look at my righteousness. Look at me. And here Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's his righteousness that they need to look to. They need to trust in him. So look at the start of each of our blocks just to see how different this looked. So in verse 2, the religious leaders sounded trumpets as they gave. But the Christians are to give so the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's, it's secret. It's not done to get anything back. You aren't giving with one hand whilst looking for what you're going to get with the other. Now look at the next block in verse 5. They stood to pray so that everyone would see them, which we hide away. Look at verse 16. Again, it's their appearance that draws attention, where we are to hide that. So in the obvious acts of public worship, in giving, praying, and fasting, Jesus says, don't look to your own righteousness. Don't display how good you are. Look to me. See how good I am. What they are practicing is their own righteousness, how they can be good living, good people. I ask yourselves, is that the kind of faith that you want? Is that the kind of faith that you have? Where people think that you're just a good person, 
that you're just really nice? If that is the only impression that your life is giving people, then you're showing off your own righteousness and not Christ's. If you act in a certain way because that's just how polite people act, then you're practicing it at behaving at how this culture tells you to act. You're showing that you can conform to standards that you're able to fit in. You're acting with the world around you as a judge, seeking the approval from man. You're practicing displaying your own righteousness. But Jesus tells us to practice a different form of righteousness. We can certainly take lots about the specifics of giving, praying, and fasting, but let's keep in mind the wider point that we live in response to what Jesus has done for us, that every action taken is done through the knowledge of his grace, that when we get up in Christ, that we go to work in Christ, that we do everything remembering how he saved us and adopted us. God says he requires obedience over sacrifice, meaning that he wants us to depend upon him rather than just playing a part. As we act, we practice his righteousness by acting through Jesus. The next point in our big statement in verse 1 shows us how we are to do that, by talking about our motivations. So let's look back at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the reason that we practice righteousness is not so other people can see us, but so that God is glorified. We are to delight him and honor him. We are to act for him. Now, I've heard this kind of story from so many missionaries, but when we were in Chile, we, we got an email one day basically telling us that, we, that our money had gone. We had no more money left. The next day, we got another email saying that an anonymous donor had just given us exactly what we needed to cover that next month. We never knew who they were. We were never able to thank them. They never receive recognition, and they'll never receive any recognition for the good that they did. Well, maybe not at least on this side of glory. But they practiced generosity that they had seen in Jesus in a way that made us fall to our knees in prayer. When we think back to them, we're really thankful to that person, wherever they are, but our memories aren't of them. We remember how Christ provided for us, how good Jesus is to us. Their action pointed to God and not to man. And now that's not me saying that's the way to give, by the way. I'm just trying to give an example of how one person's action led someone to someone else's worship of Jesus. That there's a, there's a worshipful element to our motivation. We act so that God is glorified. In being united to Christ, we see all that God has done for us, and we act in response to that. So all our action, everything that we do, becomes worship to God because we do it for him. We do it because we want to please him. Whether that is joyful giving because you're excited about thinking about his pleasure and what that money will do, or it's coming alongside someone else to point them to Jesus because you know that God loves that. God's goodness and righteousness given to us motivates us to act and respond to what, so that he is worshipped and glorified because we love him. We do all that we do because we want to make God smile. 
So if we think about how we act for God in our three categories of giving, praying, and fasting, verse 4 shows us when we do any good deed, it is for our Father who sees in secret. He's the audience that matters. Verse 9 shows us that praying our Father, that we are immediately recognizing the audience. Jesus said that the religious leaders prayed with one eye on the crowd, looking to them to see how they responded. But Jesus tells us, just to focus upon God alone. Then in verse 18, we see that fasting is done in secret so that it is only our Father that sees our hunger for him. In doing these things in secret, Jesus is removing any motivation that might come from social factors, anything other than from God. The only reason that you would do any of these things if it is in secret is because God sees That phrase is repeated in verses 4, 16, and 18. But your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Underline that or, or highlight in your journals or whatever you do because it is so crucial. Not only because it places the motivation in God alone, but also because it hints at the gospel. Spurgeon said something like this. If I call God king, he will say, you are a rebellious subject. If I, called, call, if I call God judge, he will say, your own words condemn you. If I call God creator, he will say he regrets making me. But if I call God father, all my sinfulness doesn't invalidate that claim. If he is my father, then he loves me. He will regard me, and poor though my language may be, he will not despise it. Being a child of God, being able to call him Father, means that that nothing that we do, not all our sins and our weaknesses, can mean that we aren't his. You can quit your job and not be an employee anymore. You can break the law and not be a trusted person anymore. But nothing you can do can stop you from being someone's son or daughter. It means that as we act for our Father, we take our focus off ourselves and place it upon God. There is a relational element to our action. Because God adopted us, because we are now his children, it means that we can worship him. And because we are his children, even though we mess up, he delights in us. So where the the world acts in front of men, we act in front of God. Where the world acts to show off their worth and bring glory to themselves, we act to show off God's worth and bring glory to him. We've said that we act through God, and now we see that we also act for God. And our final theme theme from our big statement in verse 1 is the consequences of this. And of each of those sections, when you look 2 to 4, 5 to 15, and 16 to 18, talking about giving, praying, and fasting, Jesus contrasts the reward given to the world to the reward given to his followers. Each time Jesus says how the world practices its righteousness— You can look and see the phrase, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They have displayed their righteousness in order to receive worship from man, for others to look to them and say, they are worthy, they are worth something. And so in seeking that reward from this world, they get it. They get what they want. Even if what they want is just dust that's going to disappear in the next second. In contrast to that, we read that those who practice Jesus' righteousness will be rewarded by their heavenly Father. 
In each section, there is action and reward. Earthly reward for those who practice their own righteousness and a spiritual reward for those that depend upon Jesus. The approval of society or the approval of God. Recognition now or before the throne. We know what earthly rewards look like, but, but what does it look like to receive spiritual rewards today? Well, in practicing Jesus' Jesus's righteousness, we are molded more and more into his image, which means that the Spirit is working in us to produce a character that reflects the image of God. So think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That fruit is not about capacity. It's not what you can do. It's about character. Not just what would Jesus do, but what would it be like to be like Jesus? The Spirit working in our lives to produce fruit is really about conforming us to this image of God that God has for us. So remember our Genesis series, we talked about sin as being striving for independence from God. And where that led to rebellion instead of love, discontentment instead of joy, violence instead of peace. Here, having the Spirit work in us reverses that process, bringing us back into dependence upon God and having his shalom, his peace rest upon us. Receiving spiritual rewards looks like being closer to God, living in more and more dependence upon him. And then in rejoicing in seeing his hand upon you, his influence in your life. Do you know, I have some very wise people in my discipleship group, and, and they were talking recently about wanting to, to strip back other influences in their lives so they could see God clearly. And I think that we kind of intuitively get what that means. We, we don't want other things in our lives to hold our attention so much. When Jenny and I go out for dinner, I have to make sure that we pick somewhere that doesn't have any screens up where I'm sitting with my back to it. Because no matter what's on, I know my attention is just, it's just drawn there. And that's what a lot of our spiritual lives are like. Something is drawing our attention to God so that we feel that we can't see him clearly. So the spiritual rewards that, that here that are coming from acting through Jesus, for Jesus, actually result in us seeing Jesus more and more clearly. The reward here that we get is a greater dependence upon Jesus. It's a fuller humanity, a fuller life as we become what we are created to be. And I really hope that that is something that you yearn for. That whatever stage in your spiritual walk that you're on, you hunger for more closeness with God. That you want to live in more and more dependence upon him. So that you long to know him more. But a danger here is that we fall into the same trap as the Pharisees did. See, they thought it was their job to fulfill the law. And so they created all these kinds of new laws to make sure that by their strength, they would be righteous. That they could earn their place with God. In modern days, we think it's our job to be righteous. And so we create all these new techniques and, and try really hard to follow them so that we will be righteous. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with trying different strategies to help you in your Bible reading or remind you to pray. And we should desire holiness. But the problem comes if we confuse our job with God's job. The big point of Jesus' sermon so far is that he will give us the righteousness that we need. That one can plant, another can water, but it is God who gives growth. 
It is God that sends his spirit, God that molds us and shapes us. He is the one that is responsible for our transformation. So don't take that burden upon yourselves. The gospel is about grace, not law. Trust that if you love the Lord, he will complete the work that he has started in you. It didn't go well for the Pharisees trying to do God's job. And it doesn't go well for us when we try and create our own righteousness. Instead, we need to learn to see grace in our lives. But Jesus is also clear that we do have a job. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. So there is an expectation that we do something. And that something is obedience. It's responding to our Father in the appropriate way. It's hearing his voice, conforming to his ways. And because of our relationship with him, we want to obey him. We want to make him smile. So don't read your Bibles because we've been told countless times that's just what Christians do. Read your Bibles because you love God and he has told you that reading it will bring you closer to him. If you want to be closer with God, he has told you how to pray. If you want your life to feel more in step with Jesus, then he has told you how to live. The questions that hold us back are, do we want to be closer to him? And do we trust that the ways that he has given us are actually the best things to do? Now, that's not about following rules. That's about following God. And now, maybe you're in a position where, where you love Jesus and you want to do this, but something keeps stopping you. Something keeps stopping you from, from reading your Bible more or praying more or seeking him in some kind of way. Because individually, this can be tough. But that's why we have the church, why we have each other. All of us need discipling. We need to come alongside other Christians and be built up together using each other's strengths. The image that we get of the church in the Bible is of, of singles helping families, of older married couples helping younger ones, the younger people supporting the older ones. God has given us each other to be in our lives to help each other, other grow. So let's stop just trying to be perfect on our own and start living as God has called us to. We need to stop trying to do God's job. He's already provided the sacrifice. And we need to start doing our job and simply trusting in his righteousness and what he has told us. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you hear these words of Jesus pointing you to his grace and that it makes you feel liberated. Like you can stop depending upon yourself, that you've taken a burden of that works off and you can just look to God. I'm going to ask the band to come back up now and we're going to sing to respond so that we can grasp this truth that it is not about us, but it is about Christ who is within us. That it is his presence in us, his grace and his righteousness that we depend upon. And I pray that as we sing, that that truth would turn your heart to worship and you would feel the pleasure of your heavenly father as he draws closer to you. Let's stand now and sing.